And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become, from selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Hey, this is Bill Florio. Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell. Hey, it's Dave Harrison. All right, today we got Rich Derespina, who makes Derespina knives. That was fascinating. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I was really interested in his journey that got to it, which I feel like we didn't cover as detailed as we probably could have. We talked about his band stuff into making knives, but uh, I don't know if we really talked about the... I, I, I mean, there's only so much we're going to talk about working in a video store. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a cool video store, but like not necessary. But it was owned by John from Hell No. John Poop. You know, John Poop. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've known Rich forever, and I, I think we brought it out. He, he's always been kind of, like, tooting his own tune and doing his own thing. And, like, we're not going to find another person who makes knives in their basement. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now we don't we have did, to. <laughs> and yeah, and even if we did, they definitely wouldn't make, they'd probably say the opposite of whatever the hell Rich said. So <laughs> Yeah, they'd probably be the people we don't want to talk to. Even among knife makers, I, I bet you he stands out. So. <laughs> Yeah, this is really fun. And, and Rich was in Hell No. Uh, he was in All for One. But, you know, I also bugged him about being real picky about what bands he, he was in. And he had some interesting stories about that. Yeah, those were good stories. <laughs> so Charlie used to call him a hippie. Yeah. Because <laughs> Charlie was like, wait, wait, who's Rich? And I was like, the hippie. He's like, oh, okay. The hippie knife maker. <laughs> Rich the hippie. All right. Throw the tape. All right. We usually start this out where you tell everyone who you are, and what you do for a living. My name is Rich Derespina, and I am a knife maker for a living. What does that mean, a knife maker? I make knives. Really? <laughs> so that's like yeah. the people in prison that freaking sharpen like a piece of metal on the floor? Totally, totally. I'm shiving everybody, like, left and right. <laughs> Have you ever made a knife out of a toothbrush? These suburban muds don't know what they've got coming, man. Do you, do you, <laughs> do you sell your, your wares inside of cakes and stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> I bake cakes and I bake knives into cakes. Absolutely, 100%. Actually, no, I, uh, I, 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 I bake mousetraps into cakes myself. No, I mean, you know, I make knives by hand and I sell them. I have online dealers and uh, around a couple of different countries and across the U.S. Most of my private customers are... In the uh, military-industrial complex, or some deviation of that, somewhere, somehow. You make knives for the military. So we're talking about we're talking about like defensive carry knives. We're not talking about like Renfair knives. No, I don't. So yeah, I'm not. So it's funny because you know you always get some fucking idiot who's always like, "You should work the fucking Renaissance Fair." <laughs> <laughs> 
take a hike. Like, what, what do I look like over here? I'm not fucking wearing a pirate shirt or some shit. You know? If so, anyone, if anyone, if anyone needs a concealed carry weapon, it's probably people that go to Ren fairs, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Ren fair last week. <laughs> Actually, you know, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm not dissing on Renfrew. I'm not dissing on anything that anybody <laughs> wants to do with their, with their private time, their life, their money, and their property. I don't give a fuck. However, um, I'm not selling my knives there because, quite honestly, I doubt anybody's going to buy them. So. So, so, you're so, saying, how- so your knives are like military grade? Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah, like I make stuff that, so I did martial arts and I worked with knives a lot and so we used to buy throwing stars after we went to McDonald's at the Kung Fu store on Junction Boulevard. Oh, uh, that was the that was the shit back in the day, man. We had we had Treasure Island in Brooklyn. I, I went to the flea market Yonkers. They had that Yonkers. <laughs> flea market where we don't even have a Kung Fu store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had Treasure Island, and it was like the place where basically all the criminals went or would be criminals go to get their 007s and their throwing stars yeah, and their nunchucks. 007, I remember that. I remember back, somebody back. throwing that on the ground and went through a sneaker. Was it Didi Ramone? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, is Stop that is that kind red. of when you got into, like, both martial arts and knives? Like, when you were in, like, junior high ground? Uh, no, like actually, I, you know what? I didn't get into martial arts. Uh, I mean, I always liked martial art movies, right? You know, Kung Fu know. cards? I was like uh, Kung Fu cards. The Kung Fu trading cards. You remember the no, I wasn't. Show? I wasn't that nerdy. No, <laughs> I was. Uh, although I did have like you know like Bruce Lee novel and uh, some Bruce Lee inspired comics, but that wasn't uh, you know it wasn't really my thing necessarily. Music was always my thing up until the nineties. I'd say about ninety one. I started to get into martial arts, and then um, you know it just kind of progressed from there. From uh, empty hand to weapons and on. And, you know, I was always like, I was a boy scout. I was, uh, I always loved the outdoors. Uh, I like guns. I like knives. I like all that shit that other people don't like. And, um, you know, it was just a natural thing for me to gravitate to. So because I was an illustrator, I kind of decided that maybe the kind of sensitivity that some artists have is not too different when you change the medium, you know what I'm saying? Like a sculptor can do things that can translate sculpting the way they use their hands, the way they use their brains, the way they think to other mediums. Right. And painters can do that. Our, uh, our illustrators can do that. Cartoonists can do that um, because we understand or they understand how, how the hands work, you know, like there's just a body mechanics that is kind of um, that comes out of you when you do things. Right. That, is just natural inherent. Like I was always a draw. I was always an artist as a little kid. I always drew. And, um, and then I went to art and design for high school. And after that, I just went straight to work. But one day I just said, I'm collecting these things. I've been collecting them since I was a little kid. I got into, you know, higher end kind of stuff that cost a lot of money and whatnot as a, you know, became a working adult. And then I was just like, you know, why am I spending money on this shit when I could probably do it myself? So, um, so that's what I did. I just started to buy hand tools and, uh, my landlord allowed me to use her basement and, uh, turn it into a little shop. And that's what I did. And just kind of built from there on and on and on and on and on. And, um, what, what is the, what does the process look like as far as, there, do you have like a, I just imagine like you have a furnace, like you're making a sword. Like that's a really nice landlady. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know what? She would shit her pants either way if she saw what I was doing. <laughs> like, she had no idea what I was doing down there. She just knew I wanted to use it. I bet you had a photos down there anyway. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> I bet there was a photos down there anyway. <laughs> yeah, just use the oil burner for you. <laughs> yeah. Some kind of weird yeah. inner city Vulcan. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do forging. That's that's okay. traditional forging stuff. I do what's called stock removal. So basically, I take sheets of steel. Uh, I you know I uh, scribe onto them the the profiles that I need, and then I cut them, and then from there I grind the crap out of them until they look like something, and then heat treat them and uh, regrind them and refinish them so that they look new. Because uh, forging is wonderful, awesome, but it, it, it's a longer process. And it's a more temperamental process, and I don't have the temperament, I don't think, for that. Because uh, <laughs> you know, when I fuck something up uh, now, I will fling it across the room. Uh, so <laughs> I think I would probably <laughs> fling shit across the room almost nonstop if I was forging. And so. set fires. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. What do you mean? Piping hot Ball steel in into walls and stuff. <laughs> Back in the day when when I when I hung out with you, I remember you were helping old ladies. Yeah, that's right. right? You were kind so, of yeah. like, 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 you were like, I, I don't know what that I'm job was. No, was no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Did, you, like, did you guys give you their keys? No, they gave me social security <laughs> checks, man. What are you kidding me? <laughs> no, uh, I worked for the Karen community, which I worked for them for seven years. That was probably like, yeah, that was around maybe... 90-ish, 91 to about 97, 98, somewhere around there. And um, uh, the caring community is like a local community group under the Department of the Aging for New York. And uh, it's mo it's for the Lower West Side, basically, from about Chelsea all the way down to Wall Street uh, on the West Side. So uh, we had Little Italy, like run basically like by all the old Italians in Little Italy uh, at uh, Our Lady of Pompeii. And then I, my, I had my office, which was on St. Luke's in the field over uh, over by the west side there, way deep in the west side there. You can't get more Italian than Lady of Pompeii. <laughs> oh, no. Forget about it. Like, you go in there and it's, it's – they're, they're literally old gangsters, you know? Like, they they all were friends with Vinny the Chin and they, you know, knew this guy, knew that guy. If you rub them the wrong way, they told you they get rid of you. <laughs> and and the, the, were the elderly folks connected as well? The elderly folks were the connected people. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 hold on. So the people that I helped necessarily were not. Right. Okay. It, but the people that ran shit in that neighborhood absolutely were. So, so no one no one needed your help and ran shit. No, no. The most, <laughs> so what, what, what the, I Vinny got, the chin used to walk around in a... And his robe. And I, that's what I was getting at. I, like, I feel like Vinny could have hired you and be like, look, I, I got the rich helping me. Look, <laughs> I can't do anything. I would have helped him. Are you kidding me? He probably paid good. <laughs> like, get me another umbrella from my, from my shower. No problem. <laughs> um, so with, with that job, um, you know, I did, uh, I was the program coordinator for the shop and escort program. So I would like, I would send out, we had these kids that were getting credits um, we did that. That was temporary. That was only for a couple of years, but we had kids that would give credits to for school and, uh, we'd have them go out. Well, I think we talked about for the video games. Video. <laughs> <laughs> credits for the video game. There you go. You know, you put your quarter on the top. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I would, you know, I'd send them out and I'd have to go out myself. And, uh, I also did meals on wheels through them, uh, at the, for the same length of time. 
so like the first quarter of my day was meals on wheels. And then the rest of my day was, uh, trying to run that shop and escort program, which was basically just making sure like the old ladies, you know, had the food that they need or had to get to the doctor and, you know, stuff like that. So, so, so did you get into this because you wanted to help people or because you're half Italian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, just trying, I'm trying to make a connection because you, you went to you went to high school for art. Yeah. And then you started doing this stuff. I'm trying to see if there's a connection. Well, you know, I kind of, yeah, you know, master, uh, what is it, was jack of all trades, master of none. So uh, that was me. And uh, I just went from thing to thing until I kind of figured my ass out. So, and I still, that's uh, still questionable whether I've done that or not, but, <laughs> you know, that's, that's where I was. You're always learning. You're always growing, right? A hundred percent. You know, it was my twenties. Forget about it. Well, it was the baby. So, uh, but, uh, I did that for them. Uh, I did that because quite honestly, my stepfather was another program coordinator there. And he told me, he's like, Hey, you need a job. I got a job. <laughs> and I said, all right, let me go take a look. So I went in, did the interview and I got the job. Cause I, you know, I had an in, but then like you really me- needed an in there anyway. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but then they fired me because I wanted to go on tour. Oh, we've heard and, that uh, story before. <laughs> How long well, was the know, tour? Think about it. You worked there for seven years. Uh, the tour was two months, two fucking months, right? And they said, give us two months advance notice. My my boss, Lucy Ciceri, says, you give me two months advance notice so we can cover, you know, your position. They had nobody to cover my position. There was nobody else going to do my job. Like, I'm the only person that did it. And any of the kids that we had that would, uh, you know, work for credits or whatever, they were, forget about it. They're not doing nothing. They're, they can't handle it. They don't know what to do. So I knew she wasn't going to cover me, but she said I could go as long as I put it in writing. And that's what I did. I put it in writing. And then like two weeks before I go, and I said, so, you know, it's going to be two weeks and then I got to go. Um, and she goes, well, you can't go. And I said, what do you mean I can't go? I got tickets. You know, I got, I got tour dates. Like, you know, it's got to happen. There's, there's no way I'm just not going. And she goes, if you go, don't come back, right? And this is how they played. Like, she was real, you know, She this was the, the head honcho there. So she thought she, you know, because she was tight with the chin and all those characters and whatnot that, you know, she acted like those guys sometimes. So she, you go, don't come back. And I'm like, <laughs> that's the opposite of what you told me I could do. She's like, well, I have nobody to cover you. I was like, but you knew that two months ago. <laughs> like, you, know, you knew that. I knew that. Like everybody fucking knew that. Nobody's going to do this <laughs> shitty job. Right. So bang, uh, the two weeks are up and I go, I said, fuck it. I got to go. And she's like, well, you're not getting unemployment because you're quitting. And I said, no, you're firing me. I got unemployment. <laughs> I feel like there would have been a great buddy comedy if you just brought a bunch of the old people with you on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this was with Hell No? Yeah. Oh, they would have loved okay. it. That would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get to, you know, I feel like you're one of the better guitar players from that time and place. And you were real picky about what bands you were in, right? Like a Tom Capone would be like, yeah, I'll be in bold. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just trying to figure out like what, you know, you know, and I feel like you, you, you generally stuck out as different from the different people. So I'm just trying to figure out what was your thinking there as far as like how much time you're going to put into playing music with other people versus everything else that you were trying to do. 
well, my, my whole life was music at that point. So quite honestly, you know, my job was just a vehicle to carry me through until I thought I could have, I wanted an independent band that could do it on its own, uh, you know, through independent labels and, you know, through reasonably priced shows and merchandise and, you know, the whole, that whole ethic, you know, the whole, I love what, you know, discord did and, you know, whatnot. And I, I thought that was a, that was the way to go. Right. And, um, um, I, I thought that I don't need too much. I don't need to be a millionaire. I don't need to be this, that, or the other thing, even though I would love to be a millionaire. I just need what I need to get by, to take care of my shit and to not worry and to be able to play music. Right. So that was my object. That was my whole objective for the nineties until, until 99, when I started making that hell no was the closest thing to that vehicle. And, uh, you know, I loved those guys. I knew those, some of those guys for a really long time. So it made sense to join them. Well, the people were important too, right? It wasn't just like, of course, of course, absolutely. The music and what they were doing. It's like, you got to be able to, to deal with these, you know, fuzzles. A hundred percent. But you know, but, not, <laughs> not, but you all probably know this being in bands, it's almost impossible to get along all the time. So there's that angle too. Like, you know, you're around people on a regular basis and you have maybe different ideas about the way a song or a record or this or that should go, and you have conflict, right? So keep yeah, but you, you're you're replacing Ted Leo. I mean, you're, already set, <laughs> you're already ahead here. <laughs> as far as not being a prima donna. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not going to say nothing about Ted. But <laughs> I'm just wondering if towards the end you were just like sharpening knives in front of the rest of the band when they were pissing you off. <laughs> So it's funny, like that tour, right? You know, so I always carried a knife. With me. I've been carrying a knife with me since I was a little kid, since I since before I was a teenager. So as soon as we get to, you know, I couldn't, you couldn't fly on a plane with a knife, right? So uh, even though you could, depending on the the length of the blade or whatever and the, the type of blade, but uh, at that time, but uh, you couldn't really because it's not what I wanted to carry. So the first thing we do when we get to Europe is like, I got to go to a knife store. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, what do you mean you gotta go to a knife store? And I'm like, we're in fucking Germany. Like, like they gotta have some knives here. Solingen, all that kind of shit, man. Like, like these guys know how to make knives, right? So I gotta find a tool store or something. <laughs> Finally found a tool store and I got this like shitty little blade to, you know, to carry with me. Did you ever make a knife that could cut cheese? Of course. I, I'm, I'll make kitchen knives, you know. I mean, I don't make them look like your traditional kitchen knife, but uh, they're kitchen knives. 100%. That could have been useful with hell no. Uh, on tour? Well, because then I guess it would look uh, less suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I was thinking, but okay. I don't remember what joke you're referring to, Charlie. <laughs> that was Medicine Man. Oh, wrong band. They played. <laughs> <laughs> Same show. Char Char Charlie, yes, Charlie, Charlie <laughs> said he likes only likes medicine man if he can eat a cheese sandwich outside while they're playing. <laughs> That's where I was thinking of like the Tom Capone thing. I was like, you had you had a good sense of style, right? You, uh, the rest of us look like a bunch of schlubs, you know. And you actually the only person who like picked out clothes to wear <laughs> things like that. Uh, that's funny because so, the AC crowd would make fun of me occasionally for that. We did. <laughs> we did. But, you know, they were all envious because it's like none of them knew how to freaking buy a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Shabu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like I had a, I had a thing for socks. Now, now I own 
never, never wear socks or I wear ankle socks like all year round. Uh, but I had a thing for socks. You know, I had a thing for, I had some decent shirts. I had some decent pants. I still got all that shit. None of it fits though. <laughs> so like there's a particular kind of thing behind that, right? Like you're choosing, choosing your music, you're choosing your, your fashion. Like there's a, I feel like that's like an Italian thing. <laughs> right? and, and, it's, and it's like, I, I'm, I'm buying these knives, but I can make them better. I know I can make better knives than this. That's like an Italian thing. Alternative Guido? <laughs> I don't think you have to be a Guido. Actually, I think Guidos are probably like cheapening it because they just like, they pick out shit and say it's good. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, if it's gold, it's good, right? <laughs> um, so I, I just feel like there's a pattern here because I also feel like you, you just pointed out you, you had certain things you collected or you sought out. Like, if, uh, Someone came in the record store. I mean, I don't think you actually ever volunteered in the record store, but you hung out there. I did. Yeah, I did. And if anyone came in with some decent record, you were the first one to jump at those records. Let me oh, see what you yeah, got. Man. I'm, I was a record <laughs> for sure, you know, no doubt about it. Like, you, couldn't, you couldn't get a fucking decent record in that joint That's because sure. between me and Will and uh, this guy and that one and the other one and Freddie and blah, 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 blah. Everybody's got their hands in the kit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can also kind of relate to your customer because of this. Does that sound right? I can relate to my customer because of style. No, because because you're you're a collector and you seek out very specific special things. I guess so. Yeah, you know, like I I guess I kind of always had like I guess as a child I collected stamps and then I collected coins and then uh, I never was like a like a comic guy or anything. Even though I was like. Uh, even though I went to school to illustrate and cartoon, I, I wasn't too immersed in that culture. I was still uh, very music oriented. And it was just because I could do that, that I would do that almost. Well, I, th I think you oh, you like to stick out, right? How many other stamp collectors did you know? Uh, no, for my friends, nobody. Yeah. That's what I'm I mean, saying. So I think you like to be like, hey. This is what I do, and it's not what you do. They were doing D and D. I was like, not D and D. Like, was... <laughs> hey, we learned from a past. We learned from a past guest that apparently there there is sexy D and D uh, games that we just didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, no, I know shit, man. And now, if they were into that, well, you know, not for nothing, they were all Uggs anyway. So never mind. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to get into this. Philatelist versus D and D. What's nerdier? Philately, yes, you're right. That is exactly what it is. Philatelist. I would go into the to local. We had stamp collecting back in the day in 70s and 80s New York. You could go to a philatelist shop and you could buy coins and stamps, and uh, they would have old stamped on. And a lot of times it was next to the movies. Uh. Mm, not that I probably could one place. Charlie. Yeah, it's like <laughs> one, he only saw one place. Also, a, phil a philatelist sounds like someone who touches children. I'm just going to throw that out there. I didn't know that was <laughs> no, you know, there, there was that one guy. <laughs> that, that was that different strokes episode, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. It was the bicycle shop. Oh damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I guess, and then I I have it still have some of those stamps and coins i gave them to my son he got kind of a little bit into collecting me and whatnot but he kind of got out of it um he collects history knowledge now but um i moved into a teenager and uh stopped that and guns and stopped that and you know i just go through waves of things i like i appreciate the location of stuff you know that uh people put a lot of care or work into 
It doesn't matter if it's machining, it's still art. If it doesn't matter if it's music, it's art. If it doesn't matter if it's painting, it's art. If it's a poster, you know, if it's in the flyers and fanzines and all that good stuff, clothing, same thing. Like, although I'm, I'm pretty, I pretty much look like I did when I was 15 now for the last 20 years, like where I mow pants and black t-shirts. So, um, well, you're grinding yeah. knives all day. So. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I think, I'm I think that makes sense. <laughs> you know, also at 20 something, I'm trying to get laid all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> You know that doesn't that doesn't really exist for at fifty one. So what what is your average customer like? Is there like a type? Like are there a thousand Lester Salvadors out there? Dude, there's any Lester Salvadors? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever sell him a knife? No, no, never. Lester would have a proxy. He's like, I don't want I don't want Rich knowing I bought one of his knives. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I mean, I love Lester. I don't know. I could just see him like I need to. I need to form some sort of. I can't think of the word. <laughs> I need a plot. I need a plot to uh, get around. You know, yeah, rich better judgment. Yes, <laughs> he needs an alibi. He doesn't need a knife, though, Lester, because he's a, his hands are a deadly weapon. Like, there's a specific Filipino contingent, though, because there's a martial art specifically around the knives. Yeah, like yeah. So, designs you make. So that's what I, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was doing Kali and. Like, you know, um, and Lester, that's why you would say Lester also, because he's Filipino. So I was doing that and, uh, you know, it's empty hand, stick and knife. And they do a little grappling too. And they do a little this and that. So that led me into more deeply into the knife world. So the interest I had as a young man became more interesting now that I had the technology, the you know, the physical know-how to apply the use of those things. You know what I mean? So like... You know, martial art is still an art. It'd be martial in nature, but it is still an art. There's science to it. There's body mechanics, knife making. There's body, there's body mechanics to it. There's knife. There's science to it. Same thing with shooting. Same thing with exercise. Same thing with playing music. You know, every relative, all anything doing that's physical, where you're, uh, they all have very relative qualities, and you can see that there's a this line, this thread that runs through all that kind of stuff that um, makes it all. Unfortunately, not everybody from the old scene sees it that way. Some of what I do remains questionable to my old friends. Well, uh, I mean, that's, that seems like, I mean, because I think there's a lot of thinking that when they think about knives or guns or whatever, they're thinking about like the, the you know, overweight guy with the plate carriers, like with yeah, an AR-15 yeah. that he made in his basement, like storming, yeah. storming a Capitol building. Well, that, see, so they're, everything's politicized. I don't look at it that way. Like I look at it principally, right? I look at I look at everything. I try to look at everything. I'm not going to say I look at everything, but I try to look at everything without emotion and just look at the principle first. And then from there, you know, comes context and nuance and all that other shit, right? But the principle is that if you're not creating a victim, you haven't created a crime. That's the basis for the way I look at things. And the, when it comes to weapons, for instance, that um, I kind of I kind of equate it to punk rock in a way because, you know, punk rock was really offensive to a lot of people for a long time. And uh, it still is to some people, although barely at all anymore. It seems I can't fucking swing a dead cat. It shows you about the state of punk rock. What was that? It shows you about the state of punk rock if it's not offensive to anybody. Which, right, it's not really, right? It's, it's, it's basically, it's not the same animal anymore. But when it was that animal, 
it terrified a lot of people who just didn't understand it. And they didn't, they didn't. especially Bill. Well, Bill, and I, <laughs> Bill and I just saw leftover crack play in Vegas, and that was quite terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, come on! Like you know, like weren't our first shows like weren't your first shows that you ever went to kind of terrifying? Oh, totally. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, what would be the massive? Not, not that kind of terrifying, though. That was more like you know, terrifying. Like there's someone on the subway that is you know just wearing pants that I can't look at. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think one of my first one of my like fear one of my first yeah, shows was like, the was the business at CBGB's and someone got stabbed there and I was like oh this is what shows are like okay right <laughs> and Rich if you had started earlier it could have been one of your knives <laughs> <laughs> yeah have your knives Dang ever it. been used in scene to to end or start scene beef I mean I got <laughs> on that train man <laughs> you know but like you know they, the, those shows like eighty shows were fucking terrifying because they were all new was a you know pimply face you go to you go there i still had hair and motherfucking see the skinheads there all looking at you like these are they look like men these are like you know 20 year olds they look like men next to your 14 year old self uh so you know it was kind of terrifying and just the kind of um physicality of it all was also terrifying but it was exhilarating at the same time so it was kind of like riding roller coaster and um you you did it once you were you know practically your pants he came out the other night. Like I got to do it again, right? So I feel like all the things that I did toward highly politicized, especially since two thousand eight, back further into the Bush administration, like the general um, dissatisfaction of the public with uh, a certain party, right? A lot of stereotypes, and I don't like the stereotype because I used to stereotype the stereotype shit out of people, right? Like politically speaking and socially speaking, like, but then. You go and Charlie meet. used to call you a hippie. Uh, come on, <laughs> don't do that anymore. Yeah, check it out. Like the one of the CBGBs, I really fucking two skin edges standing, and it goes. I didn't know the guitar. Had, the guitar, the hippie. <laughs> you know, like, like as I'm walking right past him, like. <laughs> but, but they liked the show. They liked us. So you know, I don't give a shit. Like whatever you call me, I, I, I was I was never a punk. Yeah, but that that band had like one of everything, right? That had like yeah. a skinhead in it, and yeah, yeah, straight in, uh, me. Uh, you probably sought that out. You're like, yeah, I don't want to be stuck in a band that anyone can figure out what the hell we are. I was always definitely like that kind of horse guy, you know, where you know we can all get along, you know, it's not, <laughs> like your uh, tables aren't a big deal. Like, drop them. Like the, that was the whole point of you coming here in the first place. Is you don't like the way society labeled each other. You didn't like the way people looked. At you. you didn't like this, that, or the other thing. So you gravitated toward a bunch of freaks who, uh, you know, had no other place to go and then made something out of it, right? So why would you bring that shit with you also? Yeah. You know, you're no, just you, doing you, you were good at it too, Rich. It's like, I remember we went, we went to go see Robber Stomper in the theater. Yeah. And Andrew Scum came up to us like, and it's like, yo, Riss, what's up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, I was and I'm like, yeah, there you go. That's better than I can do. I, I don't yeah. think, I think he would have murdered me. <laughs> yeah, like, I was friends with all the skinheads. Like, you know, like, I actually, you know what? I identify with working class skinheads a lot, a lot. Like, you know, the non-racist ones, of course. But, you know, uh, I do because uh, I think, you know, the, like the foundation of basically everything in this country is built by working class people, right? So, you know, I, I, I get it. But back in the eighties um, in, in New York, <laughs> it, yes. back in the eighties in New York, almost no skinheads were racist, pretty much. 
uh, they were there. You had to look <laughs> for them. Yeah, they they were. I mean, they were they got chased out most of the time, and or they were you know a little bit in the closet. Like you know, you had like what's uh, with Brian Flag, like you know, took off and in, into the White House out in uh, Williamsburg or whatever, and hung the out. White with House? The, you mean the sandwich shop in in Atlantic City? No, the White. Remember, <laughs> you don't remember the, the the it was called the White House because it was a bunch of Nazis who lived. It was down the street from Jan's uh, house. Okay. Yeah, like uh, was, was it Williamsburg or or? Yeah, he lives in Williamsburg. Yeah, he was like first person to move there. Yeah, and this this was probably, <laughs> this is like eighty eight or, or around there. Yeah. Right? So, so they were there, but they were very obviously a small contingent, and there was some really confused uh, POC, you know, who who got involved with that shit too. So, you know, yeah, it was confusion sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I remember that. <laughs> all, you know, it was basically it was angry kids looking for a reason to be another reason to be angry and, you know, trying to um, articulate their anger in a way that, you know, they were too stupid to understand. So, so uh, you don't sell direct, you go through other I sell retailers. Direct. Is that how I sell your direct. business works? Like, I sell direct. Okay. Yeah, people can contact me and, uh, you know, you, you ask for one of my models or if you want something special, I'll tell you if I'm willing to do it or not and then I'll do it or not. So, and how about, how about like show other like shows or like knife shows or anything like that? I've done only a couple of knife shows. I, I'm not, I, I try to stay really under the radar as much as possible because, um, uh, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not a big fan of too much attention. Yeah. Well, you like you like people. It, also, it sounds like you like people who seek your knives out. Yeah, of course. Right? It I mean, makes it it makes it more special. Uh, definitely. I like you know I I have some relationships with a lot of customers you know that develop over communicate communicating via email or Facebook or IG or even telephone. So, although I hate to telephone, but um, you know over the years I've developed some relationships with people and they've stuck around. Is it hard to make and spend that much time making a special knife for someone that you don't like? Oh, oh my God, it's fucking awful. <laughs> like tell me let me listen there's about a dozen dudes that i fucking hate with a passion okay <laughs> and, and i gotta make them fucking knives and i, just, I ugh, forget about it like it just makes it 10 times worse it's, it's not even that i like i hate them as people i don't know them as people enough but i know that they're really annoying uh they're really bothersome uh really complainy bananas so anyone that's you know, just if they're too high maintenance and they're just you know not just crowding you and not letting you get your work done. Yeah, I'm not for nothing. I'm kind of an asshole, so you know, <laughs> I have, I'm not, you know, I got. I'm not. I'm kind of an asshole. I will. I won't tell you what I think of you or nothing like that. But I will tell you to slow your roll. I'm friggin' busy. You know, every time you contact me and ask me, "Is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready?" It takes me away from making it fucking ready. So. <laughs> well, I, I was looking. I was like just searching online, and I saw some interesting like message boards where people were complaining about your backlog is very yeah. long. Yeah, yeah. But then oh. at the bottom of the at the bottom of the thread, it's like, well, yeah, but the knife is worth it. And they're used to immediate. <laughs> they're used to immediate gratification. They're used to Amazon shipping them stuff overnight or whatever. So they they exactly. don't realize that that stuff they got to wait for. You know, when you're exactly. looking for artistry. Exactly right. Thank you. Would you like to be my customer? <laughs> <laughs> he could be your no, for real though. Like those people who 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 will contact, no problem. It's a two year wait, no problem. I get it. You're the only guy who's doing that, and you have to do all these other ones before you get to me. And they're fucking cool as shit. And then they get their stuff. They're super appreciative. Listen, I, I like, I, and I'm not unappreciative as well. I hook people up with discounts, free T-shirt, I give free that, whatever. Right. So 
it to you. Uh, you'd be a dick to me. I'm, you know what? I kind of shut down, quite honestly. Wife. <laughs> and, and just, I'm done. Like, I can't, uh, I'm going to shut you out until I'm ready to finish your shit. And then you'll, but the, the, the- dude, just slowly roll. <laughs> <laughs> I would go full on, just send them their money back and be like, never mind. That's that because, you know, the materials that they want cost a lot of money. And uh, I'm not pulling it out of pocket. You know, it, it's all padded into your price, right? So um, if I'm spending $200 on your materials, you know, I don't want materials. So especially if they're like, if I've cut them and, you know, I've put some work into them already, I'm, you know, that's not just not going to happen. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we talked to, we talked to uh, Pete Manchetti, the sticker guy, and, and he does uh, discounts all the time for people when he has extra material. So he's like, if you want pink sparkly stickers, they're cheaper today. So, you know, you know, maybe you could do something like that. Where it's like, I don't think, I, I don't think, I don't think Rich has any interest in doing any of this. I got a whole bunch of, I got a whole bunch of special iron for this asshole. And he, 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 <laughs> I've done like sales and shit like that, but I, you know, yeah. but I, you know, I, I don't, again, I, I don't have too much contact online except on my personal pages. Like I don't, I don't get involved in that shit anymore. That whole world is, um, like the knife world and stuff is super highly political for the last decade as well. We always was, honestly, but uh, of the internet era, it's super highly politically charged. You so, want to yeah. keep it to the transaction. Yeah. Like, like, man, let's let's do the exchange here. Everybody's happy. Leave Come me on. under your job. Leave <laughs> me under your job. I don't, drama. I don't need to know what, you know, what other government has the best kind of system of governance and all that kind of, I got my own, <laughs> you know, uh, you either want my shit or you don't. We're always looking for guests. So if you know someone who would be perfect for this podcast, please let us know. You don't have to be seen famous. You don't have to have the coolest job. That's a fact. We want to represent all perspectives and all experiences within punk rock. Just be willing to be open and honest with us and a little stupid too. But you got to have a job. As far as the types of knives you make, though, it varies. Does it, does it depend on like what's going to sell or more like I want to try to make this uh, more like I want to try to make this. Um, okay. So the, the numbers that I'm popular for popular, and I will toot my own horn. I was probably the guy, if you guys who made popular in the United States in the late nineties uh, before that, you almost never saw it. There was only one other knife maker that I knew who I love who, uh, was making. He made them very, very rarely. And he had a, also an absurd wait list and stuff. So um, I actually, you know, contacted him when I first started making us to try and get some tips out of him. We chatted a little bit. He gave me some info. And then uh, from there, when I did my first night, he came over and he saw my stuff and, you know, he was appreciative. We went out to dinner and stuff and, you know, he's a cool guy. But uh, aside from that, the Karambit, that particular style is kind of indonesian malaysian and filipino style uh, i found a lot great utility uh, aside from great uh, tactical function so um it, the, the only ones you could get at the time like i said was this one guy and you had to wait a couple years to even get one and then you're going to pay out the ass for it too uh, or you get them from indonesia right or you know so, and you're going to get at that time especially in the 90s like their manufacturing capability were literally, you know, in a hut <laughs> for for that kind of thing. So you're getting well, a less very, of a hut than you have. Uh, less of a hut than I have. Amboard's <laughs> <laughs> basement, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, like, and you know, the quality of the steel was awful, and the quality of the 
material was awful. It was all cheap stuff that was made for tourists, you know? So uh, a friend of mine comes back from Malaysia and he, and he shows me this and I'm like, yeah, you know, I've always been into these, uh, you know, we should, I, I, I should make one of these, you know, uh, or we should design one because at that point I wasn't even really making. And, uh, and I started to talk about it online and then I started to draw them and then I just made one. At that point I acquired some hand tools, uh, hand files and a Dremel and just bang, and it came out decent. And uh, from there I made like three more. And then I went to a knife show and I just happened to have them on me and a uh, big uh, knife and uh, kind of um, uh, outdoor gear, adventure gear retailer there. And uh, I was talking to a knife maker who was at their table and we were talking about pulled mine out and they were like, Oh shit. You know, we were th- these also. And Tad gear was just like, and so they took them and they put them online and they sold instantly. And from then on, it was just kind of history. Like people started to contact me and say, Hey, I want one of those. And you know, is, is that, is that kind of the moment where you're like, okay, I can really do this. full Yeah, time? yeah totally. And listen, I don't really do this. <laughs> There's guys that are, you know, uh, making a shit ton of money doing this. And I am making very average money. This. So, but, but, you know. but I feel like part of that is part of you. Yeah. Right? I'm, like there's a way to scale this if you wanted to, I feel like you don't want to. I'm not a go getter. <laughs> well, it's also, I mean, it's, it's work-life balance too. I mean, I'm sure you could hire a bunch of people, teach them how to do it. And like, you know, cause I mean, I think anyone in those, in those specialty fields too, can be like, you know, you get a knife made by me or you get a knife that was supervised being made by me, you know, something like that, where you could, you could scale it up if you wanted to. So that's interesting that you say that because that's exactly the model that some of those guys who were making a ton of money followed what they did. Well, they, a lot of these guys come from machining backgrounds or from other kind of uh, creative backgrounds like machining uh, aerospace or uh, even jewelry. Um, So they have this uh, firsthand knowledge already of how to work with metal. And um, so they had a lot of gear. Like I know, you know, like that one guy I was talking about, he had like, you know, uh, for the nineties, he had like, uh, I don't know, he said like $30,000 worth of gear in his garage, right? Because he was working in uh, aerospace, I believe at the time. And, um, so he just went from one thing to the other. And I, I saw that and I was like, well, I'll try and do that. I'm coming from zero. So I'll try and do that. But these other guys, uh, like I was saying, uh, all had that kind of built in already because they had these backgrounds. And then what they did was they hired people. Uh, once they made enough money, they hired people that they could pay to teach them how to, um, you know, be a part of the assembly line of making a knife. So they were able to um, produce a lot more than I was able to just being one guy. So uh, when I was um, uh, a while back, uh, like when I first moved out here, um, for instance, I gave a couple of lessons to people and, um, you know, just local guys. Like, hey, man, I just love to, you know, I like your shit. You know, I, I'd love to, I would like to try it myself. Do you mind if I come over and, you know, I'll pay you or I'll give you, I'll trade you something or whatever, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> you want to smoke some weed? You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it did come over and, uh, you know, like stuff would get ruined and mm. it's not cheap stuff. So, <laughs> right. so I was like. <laughs> the raw I'm materials not, themselves are, are worth a lot. Yeah, right. So the materials cost money, right? And that's all, you know, to a a guy of average means like myself, that's just, you know, that's a blow. So 
started thinking to myself, I can't really hire anybody because if I need to hire somebody, I need to hire somebody with some skill. Otherwise, they're just ruining my shit. And then, you know, I'll either look bad or I'll be in a hole. Did you ever think of hiring some kids for credit? <laughs> <laughs> what if what if one of them wanted to go on tour? As long as they put it in writing, it's permissible. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think the trend, though, is a lot of these machining tools, the price of admission is going down. Would you consider at some point it's like, OK, well, I can get this lathe that can, you know, I can get a computer and a lathe and I can make the same quality at a faster pace. Right. And the and the at some point, at some point, you're going to be able to afford that that yeah, initial so three outlay right i think that that might be more preferable to you because it's like it's not going to waste the materials and you don't have to deal with you know yeah so there's some, got, uh, their there's personality like, like 3d printing and 3d lathing uh how you can buy stuff that you can put on your desk you know um so i i, I guess that would be helpful i don't know how high i can do it really looked in, into it enough although when i do see it i'm like it is you know it, it it's interesting and it's something I do want to look into, but I haven't looked into it enough. So. But you, you got the, you got the, like some other people are going to come to this, have this idea, but you got the end because you got the name already. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's like at, at some point, I feel like that, you know, you're going to double or triple your output just at the out, you know, just at the outset. I feel like the quality like, drops it's gonna make off. Sense. I feel like so the quality drops off with that stuff. Not necessarily. Though. I mean, because he's still going to hand, like, you know, knock it out the last 10 steps or whatever. Well, right? So well, let, let me tell you what. Okay. What I really want to do is go full production, right? And then do handmade stuff on my own time at my own leisure, right? Ah. Right. Because then it will be a real labor of love and therefore I won't hate it as much. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, um, you know, you think about, you know, a suit option, like a bespoke versus an off the rack suit, or even like looking at, you know, there's a lot of different models, like guitars, you know, you can buy a, a Fender custom model, or you can buy like the made in Mexico, like baseline model, which is still going to be great for 99% of the people out there. That exactly. guitar is going to play better than they ever need. But if they want something truly special and they're willing to pay for it, then they get the benefit of your time and, uh, and your expertise. And maybe 100%. you can just sell some of your guitars. 100%. Well, you know, I, I, I think I always have this fantasy that somehow I'm going to be in a band again. So I'm, I'm rid of any. I, I got rid of one. I got rid of a state in Mexico. You never know. Somebody could just call you up out of the blue. Uh, I, you know, it, it, maybe if they, if they didn't suck, you know, maybe. <laughs> so, what about some of these what about some of these Bubba Townies you're hanging out with maybe they want to like, I heard they only it, want to play Marshall nobody Park. around here is I've put out ads in Craigslist left and right since I've lived in Pennsylvania and all there is is like new metal uh, or really old metal or <laughs> you know, that could be fun uh, or you know like uh, bar bands doing covers I, I don't want any like I would do I would do new or old metal, depending on how. But um, uh, I haven't found anything that I that I would want to do. And anybody that I've come into contact with, it's not there. It's not there. I feel like there's. I feel like there's a market. I feel like there's a market. If you could form a middle aged, old school like like crossover thrash band with like a bunch of old dudes from Pennsylvania that you just found, I mean, I think that's a band that people would go see in a heartbeat. Like they're not doing like. So they want to play like accept. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay. like, no, Maiden or Sabbath. <laughs> or, you know, like, play Sabbath, you know, like, I, and it's not, you know, 
flight on accept. Like, you know, I like balls to the wall. <laughs> I'm a midnight mover fan myself. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's their thing. I don't want to do that. Um, but uh, I did start a band uh, when I was in the previous town that I was living. Everybody else is kind of good, but we're all on different pages about where to go. And so we spent like 10 months together, like, you know, arguing about, <laughs> about like me and the singer were vibing really good. Uh, and then, you know, me and the rest of the string and, you know, instrument players were, would debate much. And um, <laughs> so then in the end, it ended up being me playing everything and just the singer. And then uh, he decided to start another band with uh, with that bass player who played at ABC back in the day, and they went on to like a stoner metal deal. That's where they always go. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but you know, it was, you know, good for them. Whatever. I just couldn't. Made them hard to deal with. I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to ask them or somebody else. We can let the listener make up their own mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have, I, you know, we, you all have this vision in your head, uh, whether it's or it's music or whatever it is you're doing, you're building something. You have this vision in your head how it's going to turn out. And when it doesn't, that's when the debates start. And then debates turn to arguments and stuff like that, you know, because you all come in with this picture in your head. And it's hard to, co- to walk into a situation with a completely clear mind uh, to see how it goes. It's really difficult. I feel like I've got reached that now. I'm too old. But, uh, you know, definitely in my earlier life, in this pigeonholing myself into this, um, I don't know, style or idea that I had in mind for what I wanted to do. So, well, it's, it's, it's a control thing. That's why you're, on, you're your own boss, too. Oh, my God. You say? Uh, yeah, well, I'm definitely a control freak about it. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Like, like, even hell no. Like, I, I don't want to control what you're doing necessarily, but this is better if you do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But so. music, being in a band is kind of the same as, like, team sports in that sense, where it's like you you learn enough to be wise about it when your body's already broken down and you can't really do it anymore. It's like, that's why we joke about, I, I've joked about it plenty of times where I'm like, I should just find a bunch of kids and like write their songs for them and be like, go do this. And maybe, you know, maybe it would be something better than anything I was ever involved with when I was a kid. Cause I was too stupid to get out of my own way. Yeah. Well, to get out of your own way. Exactly. Right. And hindsight is 2020, you know, it, that's, there's nothing truer like than that. I could go back in time. I would probably be a little more laid back. Um, you would have joined that ska band. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I. I, I love. I love real deal. Like you know, like in Israelites. I, I, I shit. I love the you know the uh, the next wave in the seventies and eighties. Anything after that is just off. <laughs> I, I want to give you some credit though. At one point, you worked for either John or Joe from Hell No. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like you, you definitely got along with those guys if you're going to work for for them and be in the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, John. Well, you know, out there too. But you know, <laughs> they're always is with Rich. But yeah. that's fine. Yeah, apparently, apparently, you know, apparently, I'm the problem. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like that old saying if you if, if everybody if you think everybody's an asshole you're probably the asshole 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not a big self-help reader, but I'm a big philosophy reader. So I kind of, uh, I think self-reflection is really important. I've had a lot of time to reflect since I'd left New York. And uh, I kind of go, yeah, I, I could have been cooler there. <laughs> yeah, I could have been cooler there too. I mean, you know, people thought it was cool, I guess, but it didn't turn out that way. So, well, I got, what happened to me when I moved out of New York was I started realizing, oh, I thought those people were bad. The people here are even fucking worse. <laughs> I could deal with a New York asshole now. That's at least what I'm used to. Now I had to deal with Kentucky assholes. Oh, you're, oh well, you're in. I bet a good deal of your customers live here, all right? <laughs> I, I, yeah, there's definitely some out there, although you can't afford it. So. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Coal ain't paying what it used to. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny. I talked to one of your customers, and he mentioned there's not that many people doing what you do, right? They're doing that quality at that price point. Um, I, it sounds like you, you have goals and you have like a way to get into something that's at the next level. But are you your, your own worst enemy? 100%. Too? Oh, well, <laughs> I feel like all people are all problems. So in my years of self-reflection, <laughs> heavy uh, cannabis use, I've discovered that um, it's true that you are your own worst enemy. And I think all problems, even uh, political ones, even social ones, uh, even, you know, uh, and interpersonal ones, your relationships and uh, your businesses and things like that all start with you. Everything starts with you, right? You are the master of your domain un unless you don't realize you are. You, you are the one who controls how it turns out ultimately. Sure, there's people that and in circumstances that throw curveballs uh, at you and whatnot. But um, for the most part, if you are of average means, uh, then all your problems are your own, you know, you're the, one. so look at yourself first. And then from there on, then you can like, don't pick any, don't pick apart other people before you've picked apart yourself. What did I do in that situation? You get into an argument. What did I do in that situation? How did I react to that? You know, because somebody may yell at you, but if you're, if your first response is to yell back or to hit or to throw or, you know, something like that, then you're responding wrong, totally wrong. Because, uh, you're not responding in a way that you can control the situation. You want to talk about control free, right? You, you, you need to control that situation and you control it by how you speak in response. You know, how you respond. You don't need a, you don't need a knife. You don't need a knife in, in most <laughs> situations. In most situations. Now, if he puts his hands up, he cut that motherfucker. <laughs> you know the warrior monk you know what i mean like you, you have to you look at yourself first and this is all in the flash of a millionth of a second you look at yourself first i know am i responding to this am i feeling this tension what is this tension how's it gonna how's it gonna show itself how's it gonna manifest and then you look at it and you either be good with it or you let it control you and if you let it control you then you you're just going down the tubes as far as how that scenario is going to play out for you. You know what I mean? I feel you know, like you're packaging like, this all up right into in every knife. <laughs> I, you know, I would like to think so. I would like yeah. to think. But, uh, you know, like, you know, like in New York, like if you walk down the street and you just happen to be looking in somebody's direction, because what the fuck are you looking at? What are you going to do? Like you can say, I'll look at whatever the fuck I want to, motherfucker, and then it could turn into a thing, right? Or you can say, I'm just looking around. 
<laughs> you all right? Is everything okay? How you feeling? You having a good day? You know, you know like th- there's ways around the shit that you're creating. You're creating things. You're doing it. You're the one. Period. And so, I don't know. I don't know. I'm talking to Control. Much. Control. <laughs> Doubt before try and control anybody else. So there's been this trend of all these hardcore bands putting out their own whiskeys. So they're like, you know, like I think Madball did one. They did a Jack Daniels whiskey, whatever. <laughs> Get these guys into their own knives instead. I feel like there's a there's a definite market there where you get all these all these bands into making. But they don't have any money though, Dave. No, but they can sell them. It's like an, it's an affiliate program. So like, like oh, okay, the band okay. the band may yeah. not have money, but their biggest fans would. Yeah. So you just be yeah. like, you know, who doesn't yeah. want a, like a knife that like. They ain't making the whiskey either, Bill. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, good point, Charlie. Good point. They're not I making they were the whiskey. Buying it. I think no, they're just buying it, reselling it. <laughs> they're the conduit for it. So it's like you know, like if if like if someone wants to buy like a knife blessed by Jimmy G, then 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 go for it. You know, I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, you know, Jimmy G is one of those guys. He likes knives, right? So uh, what if I made New York hardcore knives? Exactly. I'm telling you, I, I think there's a market there. Yeah, see, but then it'll yeah, be it's already stolen it, as soon as it'll be the late eighties and nineties all over again. It'll be people getting stabbed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you want to talk about people who have no self control. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, there's a whole bunch of abolition type people that are into knives too. You could sell to them; they have money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, like the Germans and the Japanese, like they love spending money on records and shit like that. So if you put some New York hardcore on, on a knife, maybe they'll. You know, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You see all those guys that come over from Europe for the hardcore fests. I mean, they would just come over and they'd be like, "Ah, oh, yes, I'll buy the knife. Just send it to me." Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, look, uh, the youth of today knife. <laughs> <laughs> you, you milk those spray. It just says, mor- <laughs> yeah. The, the, it says morally straight on the bra- on the blade. It's a. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who we're interviewing next week? Yes. <laughs> next week we got Porcel on the show. <laughs> we'll, pitch him, we'll pitch him the knife idea. Yeah, uh, you know, I'll make something like, you know, fancy and indie looking for, uh, you know, one of <laughs> All right, here I got it. I got it. A, a posi coring knife. <laughs> Can it core it? a like, apple? Like a coring knife, but posi core. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was, I'm, you know, I'm I'm Posicore guy, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, you did you did do the cover for the what X marks the spot record? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's you can't get more posy than that. No, nah, man, that's super Posicore, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, I love Chris. He's, a, he's an awesome kid, awesome dude. Well, man, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how old everyone's gotten. <laughs> he was one of the first people that when I when I was just looking to live out here, I, I went out and visited him. So. That Chris Daly? Chris Daly, yeah. Oh, I remember his name. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he's is he from Connecticut originally? Uh yeah. So I believe if I remember correctly, he was from Pennsylvania, then lived in Connecticut for a long time. And oh, okay. then Something, oh, cool. something like that. So. that. That's like your one like hardcore art note, at least on Discogs. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, I have I done worked it? out. I've done it. Oh, I guess the thing would be the stuff I did for Freddie, uh, the, the urban right, right. style shit and whatnot, and uh, graffiti and hardcore stuff. So I, I just feel like you're real picky about what projects you're going to do back in the day. Uh, back in the day, yeah. And I shouldn't have been because I would have made a 
<laughs> just, just, just keeping a couple of copies for yourself. <laughs> so when I was like uh, 15, I think, in my first band, uh, with the singer of Alpha One, we were playing in a band called Inhumane Society with the drummer. And uh, we, we, he and I went to high school. He had just joined White Zombie. And at that time, they didn't sound anything like they ended up sounding like. They sounded, you remember what White Zombie sounded like in those first couple of EPs that they put out? Like weird folk garage punk noise stuff. Like, I, I'm not sure how you categorize it. It wasn't industrial, heavy. Dylan. It wasn't, it was, it was was weird. It was just, it it, it wasn't bad, but it it was just not my, you know, idea of what I wanted to do. So anyway, we're playing, uh, and, uh, Rob and Shauna come to the, uh, basement while playing and he's watching and I barely knew how to play guitar at all. I'm literally just making fucking noise on the guitar doing you know, two, you know, playing as fast as I can. We're doing like kind of DRI kind of stuff at that point. And um, uh, they were really quiet. And he just kind of motions to Ivan to come to him. And Ivan gets up behind the drums and he goes over to him and they whisper. And then uh, they leave. He comes over to me, you know, like you to join my zombie. And then <laughs> I was like, nah. You know. <laughs> And then, you know, and then like 989 comes around. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, that, that, the pickiness, that completely explained the pickiness. It's like, ah, oh, the one time I made a decision here, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's I'm going to stick with this old folks home instead. <laughs> <laughs> here, here's another one, although not as big, but uh, also important was quick. Right. So uh, I run into Tom and this is when I first joined hell no right and i run into tom and he's like yeah man me and walter and you know and sir you know they're doing like this band and you know like we could use another guitar player and i was like oh yeah and he's like what are you doing right now and i'm like oh, i'm doing this band I, I think i gave him the tape of like some stuff that we had done and uh he's like it's like cool i'll give it a listen he's like you know would you want to jam with us or whatever and, uh, and i'm like uh, i was like well what what is it and he's like well it's kind of like it's different. It's kind of Soundgarden-y. It's kind of like, I remember he mentioned Soundgarden. And I like Soundgarden uh, to a point anyway. And um, But when he said that, he said it sounds different and he sounds like Soundgarden. And I went, sounds different, but sounds like Soundgarden. And I, when when it's not his fault and it's not their fault as a band or anything like that, it's my brain, how it works. So when I hear different sounds like, I go, no. <laughs> so I went, eh, I'm, I'm in this band, you know, I'm kind of busy. You know? so, so because of this, the members of Quick Stands have never been stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> they, they wouldn't have had to deal with me on tour, like buying guns. <laughs> you went to a Quick Stand, this is a class three state. I, I could go buy stuff. <laughs> Remember Manacled, right? Yeah. So, uh, one day I'm standing outside the CBs and Rich comes up to me and he's like, he's like, Hey man, he's like, what are you doing right now? You know, we, you know, I'm starting this band, you know, it's, it's going to be different, but it sounds like void. And I went instantly went no, because he said different sounds like void. Yeah. Right. And it's just that. Thing. that I don't a, think that, that was, was the a good choice. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not saying I would have made a million bucks off of them. They were atrocity at the time. They though. were what? Atrocity. They were called atrocity. Atro- <laughs> uh, well, you know, whatever they, 
uh, ended up being, you know, <laughs> they were funny. Yeah. Well, you know, no doubt about that. Um, so, but you know, like that's just like, um, my principles were a little, uh, off, I think there, as far as, um, uh, how I connect these phrases and how they rub me the wrong way. And it's no reflection of the people who offered me oppor- any opportunities. It's no reflection on their music or ability. It's entirely a reflection on this weird way that I associate things. Well, Rich, that's what makes it you. That's why I wanted you to come on the show. So. <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate it. <laughs> You know, we're trying to get people with different different attitudes, different viewpoints, and do different shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I like I always wanted to make something that stood out, and I don't know if I did. Uh, I I think by the intense marginalization of my careers in music and knives, I think that probably not. So, uh, but I'm okay with that because I'm satisfied enough with. Uh, what I've done and how I feel about it. Those knives are going to last longer than a record. So a hundred percent. It's, it's always, it's always interesting to get an email or, or uh, a message from somebody who uh, had to use it in real life. <laughs> like, you know, some soldier or like special ops character. who's was like, yeah, man, you know, your knife saved my life. I'm like, no, you saved your life. I just, provided you, <laughs> you know, the tool with which you did it, but you know, ah, this guy, you know, like had a bomb strapped to him and I just, there are plenty of people that have, that have knives on them that don't know how to use them that end up getting them used against them. So, I mean, it, it probably is mostly about yeah, training. They're probably yeah. not going to write anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I'm real embarrassed, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Do you ever have any, um, like thoughts about like people using your knife, like like Winchester's widow, she went nuts because she worried about all the people that were killed with the Winchester's yeah. rifle. So, yeah, but she wasn't she wasn't freaking playing them in a basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also think that was just an excuse no, to build a weird up, house. She wound up building all the rooms. Yeah. The house. So, no, no, yeah, that's you, a, put, you planning any extensions or anything so like that? that? That's a great question, and I've been asked that question. So, that, so it's almost like a karmic question. And uh, there, there was one time that I went to a party with Fred and um, I'm sitting there and we're all having a good time and everybody's, you know, glasses are drinking and drinking and everybody's talking and having a fantastic time. And this one woman has to say this, oh, you make knives. And she's like, how do you feel about that karmically? Like, uh, you know, like, don't you feel there's a moral issue with that? And she starts like, and I was like, no, like, why am I responsible for what other people do? I'm not responsible. Nobody's responsible for me, but me. So, you know, like if I do something wrong and I get caught for it, I am going to suffer the consequences, whatever those consequences are that society in general has agreed are sufficient for whatever it is I've done. Right. So the same thing applies to anybody else. If there's no victim, there is no crime. So I'm trying to explain this to her in principles. Like you're, you're talking about karma. First off, listen, I I sort of believe in karma. I think karma is just physics. It's another word for physics, but uh, you know, I said, you can't even prove karma. So that doesn't matter in this conversation. What matters is once it's out of my hands, it is not my fucking business. You know what I mean? So presumably a guy that's paying me four five, $600 for a knife is probably not going to use it in a crime. 
because there is a profit margin in most crimes. Crimes uh, committed with edged weapons are actually really vast uh, internationally. Like, you know, edged weapons are one of the primary weapons used. And they uh, disproportionately... More people get killed by... Of course, absolutely, like by threefold. So, uh, uh, and the reason for that is because they use mom's steak knife or they use a screwdriver or they use a box cutter or they use, you know, some cheap knife they bought in Chinatown for five bucks or some shit like that because they have a profit margin. They know they're going to toss that shit or they're going to leave it in somebody and they're not leaving a $600 knife in somebody, you know, that's the Navy SEAL that might have to do that. But that's not... Uh, you know, Joe Schmo, who, you know, uh, has nothing going for him and thinks he needs to rob people. You know what I'm saying? So, so may basically your knife is more likely to save lives than it is. To take 100%. Lives. And I, and I, if a Navy SEAL is using it, how many lives did he save by killing that terrorist? 100%. And that's something I tried to explain to her. And she's like, no, no, no. But karmically that, you know, that, uh, the cycle of life and it rolls into this you know you're projecting onto all these other issues that just don't matter because you're relieving the individual of their responsibility as a human being period and if she's once, probably yeah. doing something but really the weird in her token, basement what you're saying is that <laughs> the, the, the kitchen the kitchen steak knife is, is killing more people i don't think farberware should feel you know can get cut off frequently. like you know, feel guilty for making a shitty product so this is when it was good when it was in the Bronx. <laughs> that's it kids the gig is up the cops are here and your mom is going jails hospitals and all your friends houses wondering where you've been tune in next week for another fascinating mesmerizing and absolutely unmissable episode and be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at killed by desk this podcast is produced by jesse cannon and if you enjoyed this conversation there's tons more where this came from for only five dollars a month you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month want to help Help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show. We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com.